As we consider those who fought and died to give birth to this nation, we'll discuss a court battle that could endanger veterans' memorials across the country. Also, is the world overpopulated? Or are declining birth rates threatening the survival of some nations? Is America at risk from a birth dearth? We'll ask a population expert. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire. We will not falter. And we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. What's the 4th of July without a little bit of Lee Greenwood? Are you going to celebrate Independence Day tomorrow? Maybe some fireworks? Maybe Kaboom Town tonight? We'll talk about that in just a moment. But uh, also we're going to discuss a question. Are there too many people in the world or maybe not enough in some places? Remember Paul Ehrlich's The Population Bomb? I read it in college. It's actually become conventional wisdom among many international planners that too many people is bad for the environment, in some countries just bad for each other, and our guest later in the program says that overpopulation is actually a myth and that it's responsible for some pretty nasty policies. He's written a book about it. He is Stephen Mosher, and we will talk to him later. Also, Dr. Jerry Johnson will join us. He's in England right now at Oxford with Chriswell College's Distinguished Scholars Program, and he's going to call later to weigh in on what's happening in the Anglican Church. But first, tomorrow is Independence Day, as we said, and I've been reading today. A couple of columnists pointed out that that there's a painting by John Trumbull in the Capitol Rotunda, and I've seen it many times. It symbolizes the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson is there and six colleagues. It's really symbolic because they weren't all together. And also, uh, we can really talk about the dates, too, because July 2nd, 1776, was the Second Continental Congress in Philadelphia. That's when they voted to declare America's independence from Britain. And then two days later, there was a vote by 12 of the 13 delegations. New York abstained for some reason. Uh, They voted in favor of adopting what would be the Declaration of Independence. Then we had a revolution. And, uh, you know, since that time, lots of people have fought and died for our freedoms. I want you to listen to this audio from a recent joint press conference in Washington, D.C., 
This was held uh, by the American Legion, also Liberty Legal Institute, and the Alliance Defense Fund. This was the launch of a national effort, uh, and this effort is needed because so many of our veterans' memorials across the country are being attacked by the ACLU. So this was an effort to defend and protect America's veterans' memorials from these legal attacks from organizations like the ACLU. Announced an historic affiliation with the Alliance Defense Fund and Liberty Legal Institute. Never before has the nation's largest veterans organization joined with attorneys across America in the defense of American values and veterans' memorials. We stand here today to put the ACLU and any other organization on notice that filing self-enriching lawsuits for the removal of religious symbols that are on veterans' memorials will not be tolerated. That was Commander Thomas Bach of the American Legion. Uh, With me now is Hiram Sasser from Liberty Legal Institute, which is one of the organizations mentioned and part of this effort. Hiram, thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. Happy Fourth of July. It's so good to have you on again. It's been a little while. Last week we talked with Kelly Shackelford about how the ACLU is expanding into the heartland and in Texas, and I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. But first of all, tell me about this effort that you are uh, helping out the American Legion and the vet- uh, veterans of foreign wars with these monuments that are under attack. Yeah, well, the the Liberty Legal Institute's represented the American Legion since 2004 in various briefs to federal courts across the country, including the Supreme Court, to defend veterans' memorials. And now uh, the Liberty Legal Institute represents the VFW, the American Legion, the Military Order of the Purple Heart, and and about a half a dozen other uh, uh, veterans' organizations to uh, stand up and defend veterans' memorials, uh, which are under attack because they bear religious imagery. Let's go back to Commander Bach. Here he is at the press conference explaining what the coalition hopes to accomplish. We are honored that ADF and Liberty Legal Institute has joined with us in our national campaign to educate and activate Americans to move Congress to close a legal loophole. The loophole enables the ACLU to receive tax dollars as payment for winning lawsuits that force the removal of religious symbols from veterans' memorials. Not only must Americans suffer this, but judges then reach into their back pockets of the taxpayers to pay ACLU for doing it. Is that absurd? Well, you better believe it is. Most Americans are totally unaware that they've been paying the ACLU millions of attorney fee awards in establishment clause cases and are outraged when they learn of it. Their amounts are staggering. Again, that's Commander Thomas Bach of the American Legion. Hiram Sasser of Liberty Legal Institute is with me. And Hiram, that has always made me so upset that the ACLU can just willy-nilly bring these suits against Americans' freedom of speech, their freedom of religious expression, and then the taxpayers have to pay for it. Yeah, well, you know, what's, what the really offensive part about this is is that most of these memorials and monuments that they're attacking have been around for decades, and in some cases, uh, almost 100 years. Uh, take the uh, the Mount Soledad Memorial, Veterans Memorial, out in uh, in San Diego, California. Uh, they've the ACLU has been launched in a in a, uh, a multi-year litigation trying to remove this Veterans Memorial that's been there for uh, for for more than 50 years, and 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 so it's just really shocking 
that uh, it's not just the, the expenditure of taxpayer money, but they're just going after memorials that we've all taken for granted, that uh, presidents have memorialized and that Congress uh, uh, put into place uh, 100 years ago. I see that a case that you're involved in is a very interesting one, Hiram, and this one, because it's not uh, really supporting a Christian religion, and yet they have a monument. So the strategy is a little different than what you would follow if you were supporting, say, the Mount Soledad Memorial, which has a cross on it. It's Pleasant Grove um, suing, I guess, the city of Pleasant Grove, Utah, was sued. So tell me about this case. Well, in the city of Pleasant Grove, they have a uh, Ten Commandments memorial that was uh, that was put there and donated by the Fraternal Order of Eagles. Uh, one of our clients, the client that we represented in the famous uh, Ten Commandments case, uh, as an amicus up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and uh, because they had that memorial, the uh, Summum religious organization wanted to put up the seven aphorisms of Summum. And the city of Pleasant Grove said, no, uh, uh, we, we don't have to accept your monument. And so they're suing, and they sued, saying, well, uh, if you put up a monument that's privately donated by one organization, you have to put up a privately donated memorial to whatever we want, or you have to tear all those down. The problem is our veterans' memorials all over this country are predominantly privately donated, including the wall, the Vietnam, the famous wall uh, in, in Washington, D.C., the Iwo Jima Memorial, all these memorials that we all know and love, those are all privately donated, and the government will face a choice. Either put up a, uh, a, a statue of Ho Chi Minh next to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial or tear the wall down. So what are you advocating happen right now? I don't quite understand how this is different. Uh, you know, you have one religion that's a small religion, the Summum religion, and then you have these veterans' memorials across the country. Most of them have crosses, and that's what's being attacked by the ACLU. Yeah, what we're advocating is that the government can decide that it's okay to have a Ten Commandments monument or a veterans' memorial with with, with religious imagery uh, and it doesn't have to be t- torn down, or you don't have to put up some wacky memorial or monument next to it uh, if you don't want to. In other words, the government can say there are certain ideals and certain and certain types of, uh, of things that it's okay and appropriate for us to honor, and there's going to be certain things that we're not going to honor, and that's perfectly fine. So if it, we want to honor the Ten Commandments but not the seven aphorisms of some of them, that that's okay. So what this is really saying, and I think this is what um, a lot of our listeners resonate with, and I know I do, is that uh, this is a nation that is made up predominantly of Christians. We have a lot of other religions here, and we allow people to freely practice their religions, but we don't have to have monuments to, to those religions on government property or to balance out in some way the Christian message. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, Justice Joseph Story, one of our very first uh, uh, Supreme Court justices uh, in, in the early years of our of our founding, uh, said it best. And I'll paraphrase. He, he basically said, "Well, as a as a, as a Christian nation, uh, it's perfectly uh, normal for the government to, uh, to for especially state and local governments." to uh, uh, promote certain universal Christian ideals uh, at the exclusion of promoting other types of, of religious ideas. Uh, but, but what ends up happening in America is everyone has the freedom to practice their own religion. So uh, while the government may, may choose certain ideals, like the Ten Commandments, to be sort of like the predominant ideal the government wants to promote, 
it, it doesn't ban someone's practice in their in, in their synagogue or in their home or whatever it may be of whatever religion they want to uh, particular uh, you know to 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 practice. Hiram Sasser is with me. He's with Liberty Legal Institute. Uh, they're always battling for our religious freedom, our freedoms of speech. They're based here in Texas, and there's a big concern right now, Hiram, that you've highlighted. And I want you to talk about it, and that is the fact that the ACLU, you know, they're not just in L.A., San Francisco, and New York, and Chicago, or whatever. They're expanding their spending and really their base to the heartland, including Texas. What, uh, what are the, the threats, for instance, to Texans and Oklahomans who are in our listening audience and their freedoms? Well, you have to understand that the ACLU has not been very active in the state of Texas uh, as far as the state organization for the ACLU. So whenever they've wanted to do cases in Texas, they've had to call upon the National ACLU office to kind of come sweep in from Washington, D.C. and try to do these cases. And what we found is they're not very good because they don't know the sort of the local customs and the local rules of the courthouse. And so we've enjoyed great advantage whenever we've been battling against the ACLU national office, such as when we were representing the school district on the Bible curriculum case and we were able to prevail out there in, in Odessa, Texas. So uh, now what they want to do is they've realized they, they need more troops right on the ground in the state of Texas, for example. And so they're really they're, they're sending tens of millions of dollars over the next year or two just to the state of Texas in order to hire more and more attorneys uh, to be able to start litigating strongly in Texas and have a big, strong presence. They're doing that throughout the heartland, many states throughout the middle of America. Well, all the more need for the good work you do at Liberty Legal Institute. Hiram, thank you so much for joining me today, and thank you for the great work that you all do, and we'll be talking to you again soon. And no problem. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's very important that we show up for these battles with these groups like the ACLU, who continually just get very concerned and find one person uh, that they can represent in court to basically deny you your religious freedom. There ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up Have you thought about getting a master's degree but think your schedule is too busy? Now you can increase your education and biblical knowledge in just one day a week. The new MDiv Monday program at Criswell College allows you to get a master's by attending class only on Mondays. Get equipped for effective ministry or get one step closer to your doctorate. Pick from a great list of concentrations like counseling, evangelism, pastoral ministry, philosophy, Jewish studies, and more. At Criswell College, you'll learn from some of the best professors and get valuable experience in and out of the classroom. With a Master of Divinity degree, you'll open up a whole new level of ministry and career opportunities. It's as easy as one day a week. If I can do this with my crazy schedule, I know you can too. The new MDiv Monday program at Criswell College. 
Call us at 800-899-0012 or check us out at criswell.edu. Invest in God's kingdom and in yourself through the Criswell College. See us on the web at criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. It's been politically incorrect for a very long time. Um, If you go to a global conference on those issues and I'm there, you will hear me talking about the uh, mushrooming human population growth that's led to deforestation that leads not just to harm for for the animals and the environment, but the people living there too, no question. This is the kind of thing you hear at some of these United Nations conferences. This was an uh, October 2007 conference, and that was naturalist and United Nations, quote-unquote, messenger of peace, Jane Goodall. She gave her views on the issue of global population. We have an expert on that issue with us right now, and uh, he was actually the first uh, person to expose China's draconian methods of forced abortion and sterilization in the name of population control. He is an expert uh, on population. He's actually written a new book about it, and we are going to discuss it. Uh, The book is called Population Control, Real Costs, Illusory Benefits. What are we doing in in the name of population control? Do we need to control the population in order to save the environment? These are some of the questions we're going to answer with our guest. He is Stephen Mosher, president of the nonprofit Population Research Institute. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. All right. Uh, do we need, in the name of the environment, because uh, this year we um, reported on a story, I think it was in the United Kingdom, that couples were foregoing having children because they wanted to be green, they wanted to save the environment, and they thought they would do their part. Well, I, I believe the socially responsible thing to do is to have children, because when you have children, you're providing for the future in the most fundamental way by providing for the future generation. Now, if, if radical greens want to forego that opportunity, uh, forego that responsibility, forego that privilege, really, of, of bringing new life into the world and raising children, then they're free to do so. But that, of course, means that they, over time, will, be, will join the vanishing species that they spend so much time worrying about. Um, you know, anyone who believes that there's an overpopulation problem is free to act on that belief and, and, uh, and not, not reproduce themselves. But for those of us who look at the broader picture, you know, certainly we have six billion people alive on the planet. Uh, I don't see that as a sign of overpopulation. I see that as a great success uh, because those people are living nearly 70 years of age on average. They're eating better than ever before in human history. They're, they're leading not just longer but healthier lives. They're better educated. Uh, why should we bemoan and despair uh, that great human success story? When I was in college, I had to read Paul Ehrlich's The Population Bomb, and, you know, we all thought the world was overpopulated, and we had to do something about it. But now you see stories, if you're really looking for them, that uh, actually most of Europe, uh, European countries' birth rates are deadly low, and, uh, you know, they are at risk, aren't they? Well, they're, they're at risk of disappearing, and it really doesn't take long. If, if every couple only has one child, which is the case in 
in, for example, Italy, uh, in Spain, if every couple only has about 1.2 children, which is the case in Germany, uh, Great Britain, it doesn't take long for those populations to disappear because you're losing half the population with each generation. And, and over the course of uh, the better part of a century, most of your population will disappear. Now, of course, uh, somebody will inherit those pleasant lands north of the Mediterranean, Italy and Germany and France, but it won't be the modern-day Europeans because they're not having any children. Well, we know that there's an influx, for instance, of Muslims into some of those countries, and it's causing some dislocations and problems. Now, let's look at the United States for a moment. I think we're barely replacing ourselves, but is this partly because of immigration and even illegal immigration? Well, let's separate out those two issues. One is the birth rate of the native-born native, native Americans, red and yellow, black and white, the, the people who've been here for a generation or more. We just passed a milestone a few weeks ago because we got the birth rate of native-born Americans up to replacement, 2.1. All groups now are between two children and 2.1 children. Uh, at that rate, we would maintain you know, a steady population. Now, we do have immigration, uh, and, and I, for one, am, am not in favor of illegal immigration or excessively high rates of legal immigration. I want to see a fence built along our southern border. I'm worried about terrorism. But the fact is, many of the immigrants who come here come here as single men who have, single men have very low birth rates. On right. Um, you know, and, and, and we do have a family unification policy, but, but that applies to, to legals, not illegals. So, um, no, it's, we're, we're doing better than Europe, and it, it, it's interesting to consider why. Uh, first of all, I think that we are people of faith. You know, 70% of Americans identify themselves as Christians. Uh, half of Americans uh, are in church every Sunday. And it makes a difference whether or not you read the good book, because the good book says that babies are blessings and not burdens. In Europe, they've stopped doing those things. Uh, secular humanism is the dominant uh, ethos, ethos there, the, the, the dominant religion, one might say. And uh, if you believe only in the here and now, and, and you disregard the hereafter, uh, you know, you, you tend to try to take what you can get at the moment, and uh, you tend to not burden yourself with things like marriages and families. So I think that's why, uh, in part, Europe is dying. But the other thing that Europe is doing is it's uh, the governments of Europe are taxing the Europeans at such high rates. I mean, the, the taxes are enormous in, in Europe. Fifty, fifty-five percent, sixty percent of, of a young person's income goes to the state. And young people look at each other and say, you know, I'm, I'm only taking home a fraction of what I make. We really can't afford to get married. And if we can afford to get married, we can't afford to have children. Now, in the United States, we've done things a little differently. You know, we had a Congress in 1994 that passed a $1,000 tax credit for every child in a family under the age of 16. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a large family, and that means for me, being, being someone who runs a, a, a pro-family, pro-life research... You're not getting rich doing that. I'm not getting rich doing it. I'm not doing it to get rich. Um, I'd be in another field if I wanted to get rich. Um, you know, I, I don't pay much in the way of income tax, but I pay out a great deal to feed and clothe and educate these children. So I'm, I'm paying my taxes by raising part of the next generation of taxpayers. And we've arranged the tax code so that young couples of modest income with two or three kids don't have to pay income taxes. And that's a good thing, and I think that's what's, along with the religious faith, has driven up the birth rate in this country to replacement. All right, we've already got people calling in, and we haven't even opened up the phones, but I want to go to this first call from Deborah in North Richland Hills. Deborah, do you have a question for Stephen Mosher? Oh, no, just a comment, and I'm so glad to hear um, Christians talking about this. Um, I, 
I believe, I think I know population control is just one of the biggest lies from the enemy. It flies in the face of God's command for us to be fruitful and multiply. And I really wish more Christians would get that concept. Deborah, thanks for uh, your call. It sounds like you're doing your part, at least in the background. Let's go now to Jane Goodall. We played one bite from her before. She's a population controller, UN type. She said the Catholic Church shares the blame for overpopulation. If you talk about overpopulation uh, and not population control, that's, that's really what got to people. They don't want to be controlled. And then, of course, there's the Catholic Church, and that makes uh, quite a major problem when you are trying to get balance between the people and their environment. And that's what has to happen. If we're going to take this world on through this millennium, um, that has to happen. I mean, don't you agree? We have to get more balance. Well, first, before I let you talk, Stephen, because this makes me so angry, but uh, the Catholic Church and other Bible-believing churches uh, believe that children are a blessing from the Lord. Well, they do, and I mean, and, 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 and leaving matters of faith aside, uh, you know, children are all, all also economic benefits for the societies, for the communities they're born into. Uh, the average American baby born today will contribute about 600000 more than they consume over their lifetime, so that every baby that's born is, is a blessing, uh, not just in spiritual terms or faith terms, but in economic terms as well. Now, I respect Jane Goodall's work among the great apes, and I understand her sympathy <laughs> for the great apes, but I think she ought to have more sympathy for human beings because human beings are actually the species that is now protecting the great apes and preventing them from being driven to extinction by setting up nature preserves. And you can only do that when you can afford to do it, and you can only afford to do it when you have wealth created by people. And so you need people in their numbers to drive the economy forward. And when you reach a certain level of economic development, you can then set aside land for parks and, and natural parks and all the rest. You can protect the environment better through wealth than you can through poverty. Poverty destroys the environment. My guest is Stephen Mosher. His book is Population Control, Real Costs, Illusory Benefits. He also has a website, which I'll have him give you in just a moment. Uh, we are taking your calls. He's going to stay over into the next segment. The number is 800-881-9270. Do you think the world, uh, America, or some countries are overpopulated? And uh, we also want to talk about China because we're coming up on the Olympics and uh, President Bush, I guess, has announced today he will be going to the open ceremony for the Olympics. And uh, if they can get uh, control of their smog problem and uh, some of their f fungi in the, <laughs> in the waters for some of the uh, aquatic events, uh, they promise to do all these things. Uh, but uh, they do have some policies, Stephen, that have disturbed many of us, especially this one-child policy in China. Is that still in place? Well, it is, and, and, and it's been in place since I was first in China back in 1979. I was the first American scholar to actually be on the ground in China after we normalized diplomatic relations with the People's Republic. I was then at Stanford University in the anthropology department where we study people. And so I was, as a, as a speaker of uh, Chinese, I can read, write, and speak Chinese, I was allowed to, to live and work in China for a year during 1979-1980. I had no sooner arrived than the one-child policy burst on the scene. And, and how that manifested itself on the local level was tragic to behold because uh, neighbors of mine, um, uh, women who had conceived children when it was legal to have second, third, and fourth children, 
uh, were suddenly told that they were violating the law, mm. this new one-child policy. They were told that they were, they were carrying illegal children. Can you imagine? Their unborn children had been declared to be, to be illegal by the state. Now, they were arrested for the crime of being pregnant with an illegal child. They were put in detention centers, and then they were marched off after weeks, in some cases months, of brainwashing. They were marched off to local uh, clinics where they were aborted. There were cases of, uh, m- many of these women were very far along in pregnancy, eight, nine months. Uh, I'm going to have to jump in. We'll continue more with Stephen Mosher right after this. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. And in the old days, you got old, you had many children, they farmed the land, and you were rich. But now there's so many people that you can't give your children land. They go off to the cities, perhaps they can't get a job, so you're old. Instead of being looked after, people come back and say, I want to share what you have. And it's not working, and it's leading to poverty, disease. Again, that's the messenger of peace, Jane Goodall. We'll talk about this in a moment. Uh, Are the agrarian economies different? Is there a different rule with regard to population control for them than there is societies in the developing world like the United States or actually the developed world like the United States. Uh, But Stephen Mosher is my guest, president of the nonprofit Population Research Institute. It's www.poppop.org. And he's got a new fascinating book out full of great information for just, uh, I'd say, the average American all the way up to the policymaker. Uh, There's tons of great research in here. And Stephen, um, it's just fascinating to hear that you were in, this was I think when you were studying at Stanford or taking a break from that, you were in China, you actually discovered that these women were being forced to have abortions and even being sterilized in some cases, weren't they? Well, they, they, they were, and of course they, they generally followed the abortion with a sterilization because they didn't want the same woman to be back in two or three years with the same problem, that is carrying another ch- child that was illegal in the eyes of the state. So uh, the law of the land then is the same as the law of the land now. It is forced abortion for those pregnant outside the plan, forced sterilization for women with two children, and if you don't have permission to have a child, you must contracept. So we can call that forced or mandatory uh, uh, contraception. You know, another way to illustrate this is uh, uh, we at the Population Research Institute run a safe house in China for women fleeing forced abortion. These are pregnant women, pregnant outside the plan, carrying supposedly illegal children, uh, that they love very much and that they want to give birth to. And we give them sanctuary, we give them shelter, food and clothing and help with the medical expenses of birth. And I will tell you, the house is always full. What a pro-life uh, policy that you are pursuing there in China. I just, I think it's hard for American women to even relate with this. Uh, but Stephen, um, when we look at China, you know, the repercussions of these policies that have been around for 20 years are that now there's a huge disproportionate number of men in the culture, and it's causing some big problems, isn't it? Well, it is. You've, you've got uh, probably 120 million more men than women in the population. Uh, these are men who will never be able to marry because their brides, there would have been brides, uh, were killed by female infanticide, by being abandoned and left to die by the sides of the road, by being smothered after birth, being drowned at birth, being killed now by, in large numbers by sex-selective abortion. 
where they determine the sex of the unborn child, and if it's a boy, they celebrate, and if it's a little girl, her life ends shortly thereafter. So uh, there's this huge shortage of, of women in China and this huge excess of what you might call testosterone running around the country. And there's lots of problems associated with that. I mean, we know that in, in societies where there's been a large excess of men over women, frontier societies, there are high levels of, of violence, of, of, of rape, of antisocial behavior of all kinds. And, and those sorts of things are on the rise in China today. Gang activities way up, prostitution's up. The buying and selling of women. Women have been reduced in China to commodities. Uh, you you might think that because women are scarce they they uh, they command a you know they respect. they command respect they don't uh, it's a buyer's market for women. All right, let's go back to the United States. We could talk about China all day, and of course the fact that uh, they they are getting to showcase their country and trying to do it as best they can because of the Olympics, and yet these things are going on. We should be talking about it more. But uh, coming back to the U.S., we have an organization that we've been talking about a lot lately called Planned Parenthood. Now, they're moving out into the suburbs and they're going into the malls, but really they've concentrated on um, the inner city and uh, the urban population. Black babies are aborted at a greater rate than white babies. And, you know, this is all part of controlling the population, uh, the part of the population that you don't want to increase, correct? Well, it is, and it all goes back to Margaret Sanger, who wanted more children from the fit, that is, people who looked like her, and, and fewer children from the unfit, people who didn't share her views, were, of course, uh, by definition, unfit. Uh, she actually made a proposal to take 15% of the American population and put it on reservations, sterilizing them first so they couldn't have children, and then forcing them to work in labor camps, segregated from the rest of society. Now, you can guess uh, which 15% of the population she was talking about. Uh, and that's the founders of Planned Parenthood. And those genocidal ideas, those racist ideas, are still percolating underneath the surface. We recently took a look at Alaska, where there is a small population of what's now called Alaska Natives. We used to call them Eskimos, about 100,000. They have very high abortion rates. Why? Because Planned Parenthood targets ethnic minorities, blacks, Hispanics, uh, Native Americans, and, and even the, the, the tiny population of Eskimos in far Alaska. Okay, we're upset here because uh, Planned Parenthood gets tax dollars, so that's one way to to combat this in the United States is for us to change that, at least to, to cut off the spigot for Planned Parenthood. But what other policies can we begin to pursue here in this country, Stephen? Because I'm looking at America ahead and, you know, an elderly population that's going to need to be supported by a, you know, a shrinking younger population. So we've got to make some changes, haven't we? Well, we do. I mean, and the best thing we could do is get the birth rate up because for every uptick in the birth rate, uh, Social Security stays solvent for another two or three years. Uh, I've, I've, we've actually had communication with the Social Security Trust Fund trustees who make it clear that if the birth rate were to go from, say, 2.1, where it is now, to 2.2 children per woman over her lifetime, then that one-tenth of one percent would give us three more years of Social Security money. So if you raised it by, say, to 2.5 children per family on average, uh, you'd gain, what, another 12 years of uh, Social Security solvency. So it would be a good thing to raise the birth rate. It would prevent us from having to reduce Social Security benefits in the future. It would uh, keep Social Security afloat for a long time to come. Again, babies are blessings, and we should welcome more of them in this country. And that's what young women want. You ask young women what their desired family size is, and they don't say two children. They say 2.5 children. 
but they only wind up with 2.1 or so because it's you know it's difficult given given uh, modern day America to uh, to raise a family. All right. Aside from Social Security, are there other concerns uh, for the the way we're moving right now? The fact that our baby boomers are aging and that's such a huge blip. Well, I think I think I think there is. I mean, we we need to uh, to uh, help help uh, provide for the future by by providing a, a, a larger uh, next generation. And fortunately, America is in a position where we can still do that. If you look at Italy today, there are so few young people that every young couple would have to have four children in order to stop the dramatic population decline that's underway in that country. We're not that bad off in 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 terms of people. You know, we just need to bump up the birth rate a little. And, you know, people of faith are doing that anyway, because looking across the country, the, con- the, the, the states that are generally pro-life and pro-family and elect people who share their views are averaging 2.5 children. The states that are not pro-life or pro-family, like New York, like Massachusetts, are only averaging 1.5 children. They look more like dying Europe than like the South and the West of our own country. So these sorts of differences are already occurring in the United States, and I I think that's one of the reasons why America is becoming uh, more pro-life at the rate of about 1% a year, the polls show, because we're simply being generous and welcoming children. Uh, The other side, believing in abortion, aborts their children. And, of course, your organization, the Population Research Institute, uh, is all about helping people to understand the importance of growing the population and not reducing it. Thank you so much for this great book, full of wonderful research. And thank you uh, very much, Stephen Mosher, for being with me today. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Penna. Again, ladies and gentlemen, the website is www.pop.org. And uh, as we mentioned earlier in the program, it's really a blessing uh, to have children in your family. It's a gift from God in the Psalms. Uh, there's many places where it talks about that. In uh, Psalm 128, talking about the blessings of those who fear the Lord, it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Uh, and it goes on to talk about when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. But also your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who feared, who fears the Lord. This is one of the blessings, and uh, we need not shun that blessing. I think we're starting to see with some of uh, the information that Dr. Mosher and others are giving us that it really is a blessing in many ways to grow the population. Well, right now we have a very special person on the line. Dr. Jerry Johnson is over in uh, England. And Dr. Johnson, thank you so much uh, for calling in. I know that we're coming up on a break, and we want to hold you over the break, but just give a greeting right now. Penna, it's good to hear your voice again and good to uh, connect again with the folks in the U.S. We've got some exciting um, developments over here to talk about. We've got 800 Anglican, that is Church of England leaders, who are forming their own organization really in protest of the Church of England's policy to allow the ordination of homosexual clergymen. And that's an interesting thing we can talk about. We've got some climate change news. Uh, We've got a judge over here saying that Sharia law can be applied. The top judge in the land has said Sharia law can be used in Britain. So there's a whole lot to talk about. 
Well, I'm also going to want to get your comments, uh, Dr. Johnson, about Barack Obama. He's moving to the middle on Iraq policy, on troop withdrawals, uh, and I think uh, you probably predicted that uh, once the general uh, election campaign started. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Also, I want to mention that tomorrow, July 4th, will be an encore presentation of a very popular show that we aired recently with America's Toughest Sheriff. Uh, is Maricopa County, Arizona, Sheriff Joe Arpaio. He takes a very hard line on enforcing the illegal immigration laws. And uh, so we will uh, we will air that program tomorrow. There's also some audio of Pat Buchanan in that show. So don't miss it. And uh, stay tuned. Dr. Johnson will be back with us right after this. I thought my life was too busy for me to get a master's degree, but Criswell College makes it easy. Did you know that you can now get a Master of Divinity degree in just one day a week? If I can fit this into my schedule, I know you can too. Come to Criswell College on Mondays and increase your education for more effective ministry. With concentrations in pastoral ministry, evangelism, Jewish studies, counseling, philosophy, and more, you can build your personal ministry with a master's degree or go on to get your doctorate. You'll study with some of the most distinguished professors in the nation and get plenty of hands-on experience outside the classroom. All it takes is one day a week. Come join me and my friends on the Criswell College campus and get your Master of Divinity degree. One day, one place. The new MDiv Monday program at Criswell College. Call us at 800-899-0012 or check us out at criswell.edu. Invest in God's kingdom and in yourself through the Criswell College. See us on the web at criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. This plan would not only place a cap on the number of troops in Iraq and stop the escalation. More importantly, it would begin a phased redeployment of U.S. forces with the goal of removing all U.S. combat forces from Iraq by March 31st, 2008. Well, that's three months ago. Barack Obama was calling for getting all the troops out of Iraq and at least uh, beginning to do that as soon as he uh, was inaugurated president. But now he says he may reconsider his troop withdrawal plan. We're planning to visit Iraq. I'm going to do a thorough assessment when I'm there. He's actually uh, repudiated the pledge that he made. He says he's reevaluating his plan. Now he's going to incorporate some advice from commanders on the ground. Uh, We're not surprised. Here he is saying he'll take another look at his plan to withdraw troops from Iraq within 16 months. When I go to Iraq and I have a chance to talk to uh, some of the commanders on the ground, uh, I'm sure I'll have more information and we'll continue to refine my policies. Dr. Jerry Johnson is with me. He is in the United Kingdom at Oxford uh, with uh, Criswell College students who are over there. Dr. Johnson, are you surprised at this? Well, not really. Look, this is the one thing that Jeremiah Wright was right about, and that is that Barack Obama is playing the part of of the politician. He sat in Wright's church for 20 years, And as a campaigner, he had to move to the right and disassociate himself from Jeremiah Wright. He's still moving from the right now out of the primaries to the general election. And, of course, for the Democrats in the primary, it worked for him to say, 
because they're so radical, it worked for him to say, we'll do an immediate withdrawal within a year. That will never work in the general election. He knows that. And so now he's got to act like a responsible commander-in-chief would act, and that is to listen to the commanders on the ground. So uh, it's inevitable that he would take this kind of position. Uh, But he has uh, sort of changed his tune on so many things. Well, let's go now to what's going on with the Anglican Church, Dr. Johnson, because there have been some major meetings over there. Tell us what's happening. Well, um, about 800 clergy and lay leaders right here in England um, have formed a group, kind of a church within a church. Uh, They're joining in on this Jerusalem Declaration, uh, rejecting liberal doctrine, Uh, Essentially, they're joining with these pastors from Africa and Asia saying, and here's a direct quote, we reject the authority of those churches and leaders who've denied the Orthodox faith in word or deed. We pray for them, and we call on them to repent and turn to the Lord. So what this is about, Penna, is um, the Church of England has pretty much said, look, we're going to accept the ordination of homosexual priests. They're pretty much legitimizing that kind of behavior. And unfortunately, the Archbishop, um, Rowan Williams, has said he's warning these people um, not to protest. N.T. Wright, who we had on the program two weeks ago, the Bishop of uh, Durham, Mm -hmm. he's also warning them. And they're really taking the wrong side of this debate. And I had dinner tonight with... um, some Episcopalians from Alabama, and, uh, you know, Episcopalians in America are concerned about this, too. Um, now, this isn't a complete split, though. This... They're going to lose a lot of their members. They're going to lose a lot of their churches. This group is not splitting from the worldwide church, correct? It's just a, it's a group within the church. No, in fact, because of the way the Anglican Church is structured, the Church of England, they're not going to lose their buildings. They're not going to lose their parishes, so to speak. But uh, they're going to lose loyalty, and they're going to lose a lot of their people, because as they drift left, um, there are a lot of people that are going to go back into the Catholic Church over this. And there was a huge article on Monday over here about that. And I think what this does, uh, Penna, is should re-encourage, for instance, Southern Baptists, who 20 years ago said, we're going to stand with the inerrancy of Holy Scripture. And there were a lot of people said back then, If we don't settle the question of inerrancy today, later we'll be debating uh, homosexuals in the ministry. And I think that's one reason Southern Baptists aren't debating this at all, is because we have settled on the authority of the Bible as the Word of God. Dr. Johnson, uh, since uh, we have such a short segment here, this is such an interesting subject, but I want to move on to the issue of the climate, because you mentioned that there's some developments there. Well, just tonight again, I had dinner at Green College. It's a medical college also. Uh, they have an environmental emphasis. Interesting name. Yes, Green College <laughs> has nothing to do that. Actually, it's named after Cecil Green, who um, Texas Instruments um, donor. The college mm. is not that old, but the observatory is hundreds of years old. And they have at this college, Penna, the oldest weather station in the world. It's been running since 1700, taking daily readings. And I was able to talk tonight to um, one of the chief climatologists, uh, environmentalists, um, climate experts. 
He uh, shared the Nobel Prize with Al Gore. He's on the IPPC committee that we've wow. talked about before. And when I get back, I'm going to share some of the results of that interview and that discussion. And it may surprise, you know, our listeners. But um, uh, that uh, is really, uh, compared to another issue that came up today, um, I, I think needs to hold. I think the big story today is the top judge in England, Chief Justice Lord Phillips, says Sharia law should be used in Britain. And that is stunning. And we're going to do interviews next week, bring those back to America when we return. Well, Dr. Johnson, I think that is interesting in light of the guest I just had, Stephen Mosher, and talking about the population, talking about how in Europe, for instance, somebody's going to be uh, taking over that country as their birth rates are uh, you know, low. And uh, that's already happening, and that's why you have this, isn't it? Well, it is, and they're particularly going to use Sharia law when it comes to marriage. They've said that, and, of course, they think that should be an encouraging and comforting word. But, in fact, um, you know, the Koran says you can stone people for adultery. You can give them lashes. Now, they're saying, oh, we're not going to allow that. But here's what is going to happen, I think, Penna, is women are going to be disadvantaged in these divorce courts because Mm -hmm. Sharia law, you know, really gives the power to the men. And so there are a lot of human rights activists over here saying, wait a minute, you know, British common law protects the rights of these women. And uh, if Sharia law is going to trump our law, uh, you know, women are going to lose their rights over here in the U.K. if they happen to be in Muslim households. It's going to be a fascinating uh, issue to continue to discuss. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for calling in. Of course, uh, as you know, over here we'll be celebrating Independence Day tomorrow. And so I'll just say happy Fourth of July to you. Yes, you know, I don't know how they celebrate it over here. I think tonight I said to one of them, uh, it's like the big one that got away. You know, I'm a fisherman. <laughs> so they don't celebrate America's independence No, over they don't. Here. But we surely can. We sure can, Dr. Johnson. Thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Join us tomorrow. Uh, Sheriff Arpaio will be our guest on a uh, encore presentation. Have a happy fourth. This is Jerry Johnson live. Cause there ain't no